Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of the Inner Realm Podcast. And this is finally the last guiding axiom that I will be reading out in this sub-series that I've been doing, where, as I said, yes, I've been reading out these guiding axioms that I wrote down for my newsletter, The Unhappy Man. And in fact, as I was writing them down, I realized that I'm setting up a framework for all of my creative work, not just writing. So I thought it'll only make sense to read them out here in this podcast. Um, and the guiding axiom number seven is in fact, write through love, or in this context, let's call it create through love. And unequivocally, this is the most important axiom. From all the axioms that I've read out, this final one is the most important one because I strongly, ardently believe that all acts of creation ought to be done through love. In fact, as Christianity tells us creation itself is a divine act. It's an act of love, which is what I try to explore in this axiom. Therefore, without further ado, enough of the prelude, let's get started. So guiding axiom number seven, right? Or in this case, create through love. I loved you once. Perhaps that love has yet to die down thoroughly within my soul. But let it not dismay you any longer. I have no wish to cause you any sorrow. I loved you wordlessly, without a hope, by shyness tortured, or by jealousy. I loved you with such tenderness and candor, and pray God grants you to be loved that way again. Alexander Pushkin, I love thee. Sir, the greatest breakup poem I've ever read. All right, the next one. I was always disgusted with this notion. I really wish I could do it in the Slavo Zizek accent. That's the best way to do it. In any case, I, I shall try. Oh, no, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to read it out the way I normally read it out. I was always disgusted with this notion of I love the world, universal love. I don't like the world. I don't know. Basically, I'm somewhere in between. I hate the world or I'm, I'm indifferent to it. But the whole of reality is just it. It's stupid. It is out there. I don't care about it. Love for me is an extremely violent act. Love is not, I love you all. Love means I pick out something and it's again the structure of imbalance. Even if this something is just a small detail, a fragile individual person, I say, I love you more than anything else. In this quite formal sense, love is evil. Or as I like to put it, love is a negation. It's a negation to everything else except this thing you pick up. There is nothing, basically. I mean it quite literally. But then how do things emerge? Here, I feel a kind of spontaneous affinity with quantum physics, where, you know, the idea there is that universe is a void, but a kind of a positively charged void. And then particular things appear when the balance of the void is disturbed. And I like this idea spontaneously very much, that the fact that it's not just nothing, things are out there, it means something went terribly wrong. That what we call creation is a kind of a cosmic imbalance, cosmic catastrophe, that things exist by mistake. And I'm even ready to go to the end and to claim that the only way to counteract it is to assume the mistake and go to the end. And we have a name for this, it's called love. 
isn't love precisely this kind of a cosmic imbalance? I was always disgusted with this notion of I love the world, universal love. I don't like the world. I don't know how I basically I'm somewhere in between. I hate the world or I'm indifferent towards it. But the whole of reality, it's just it. It's stupid. It is out there. I don't care about it. Love for me is an extremely violent act. Love is not I love you all. Love means I pick out something and I and it's you know it's again this structure of imbalance. Even if this something is just a small detail, a fragile individual person, I say I love you more than anything else. In this quite formal sense, love is evil. Getting started. Love is never a transient emotion or an affection towards the other. It's that and more. It's always more. Love is a force. It moves us like no other, which is why Schopenhauer in his morbid metaphysics wrote, a man in order to have his love gratified will unhesitatingly risk his life. In fact, if his love is absolutely rejected, he will sacrifice his life into the bargain. Love drives a still greater number of people into the lunatic asylum. There's a case of some sort every year of two lovers committing suicide together because the material circumstances happen to be unfavorable to their union. Having been both in and out of love, having been in a state beyond that binary, I resonate with his sentiments. But if love is such a behemoth factor in our lives, if it puts one in such vexation, peril, and lament, why should we still choose to live through it? Why not settle on a cosmic resignation? Wouldn't nonchalantly opting out of love for some inner peace in a Western Buddhist way make life much easier? No, indifference is never the remedy to our existential predicament. Love is perhaps the greatest predicament of all, and yet we ought to face it with courage. Of course, when one falls in love, one doesn't have a choice in facing it or not. Ergo, it's called a fall in French, tombe amaro, and English. It's on this imperative courage Paul Tillich writes lustrously. Courage is an ethical reality, but it is rooted in the whole breadth of human existence and ultimately in the structure of being itself. It must be considered ontologically in order to be understood ethically. The courage to be, page one. And we ought to affirm ourselves onto being fully aware of the risks that self-affirmation entails. Being courageous means affirming ourselves at times violently onto life with the full awareness of the risks such self-affirmation entails. The angst that life's uncertainties, ambiguities, and palpable negativity bring is why Tillich proclaims, Courage is the power of life to affirm itself in spite of this ambiguity, while the negation of life because of its negativity is an expression of cowardice. Courage does not remove anxiety. Since anxiety is existential, it cannot be removed but courage takes the anxiety of non-being into itself. He who acts courageously takes in his self-affirmation the anxiety of non-being upon himself. Accordingly, love too must be considered ontologically. 
To live through love is always and in spite of, which is why courage is the sine qua non for it. If one falls in love, does falling imply that all of love may ultimately be beyond our control? Possibly. If love is purely volitional, we wouldn't have to change social structures to accommodate all forms of love. One could simply will their way out of love, but seldom does this happen. For instance, if love is solely an unqualified choice, those who try to use therapy and convert a gay man out of his homosexuality to not be in love with his partner would have succeeded. On the other hand, contrary to what the romantics ardently affirm, love isn't merely an arbitrary, irrational, chaotic force. It's always an unreasonable falling at first, but by virtue of love alone, it becomes reasonable. After the initial falling for a person, we choose to be fallen. At this stage, love deepens and matures, becomes a responsibility and even a moral decision, eventuating in the metamorphosis of the individual in love. Or as Alain Bajot wrote in his beautiful book, In Praise of Love, the truest nature of love is revealed. Love is a construction and a project towards truth, the truth of two people. The change nevertheless happens when one chooses to make a pure metaphysical commitment to their lover. Here lies the difference between falling in love and being in love. The former is out of our control, but the latter is a particular choice we make as free individuals. Ergo, it's a qualitatively higher form of love than merely falling. The ancient Greeks apocryphally called this pragma. Loving one's family is even more absurd. We're thrown into a distinctive family of a particular culture and time that we never asked to be a part of. But once again, similar to the aforementioned fall in romantic love, that Heideggerian thrownness is what allows us to make the most profound abiding commitments we could ever make in life. It's done through choosing to love one's family after being thrown into them. At least, I'm yet to experience anything deeper than the love I feel towards my family, despite not choosing that. All these decisions we make, be it towards a romantic lover or one's family, are infinitely particular and not done for a pragmatic universal, ergo social good, childbearing, mental health, etc. Thereby, the eternal God is found in the individual, not in the heavens. There's no universal conformism, i.e. an abstract love for humanity, but love is realized out of one's innermost conscience. Kierkegaard encapsulates this verity best in his existentializing of Abraham sacrificing his own son in Genesis 22, as he explores love's sine qua non, faith. Then faith's paradox is this, that the single individual is higher than the universal that the single individual determines his relation to the universal through his relation to God, not his relation to God, through his relation through the universal. Unless this is how it is, faith has no place in existence, and faith is then a temptation, fear and trembling. Page 26. In the formal sense, I don't write for the other, the Laconian big other I'm talking about, or humanity, but for particular individuals in life. In effect, this newsletter is a confession, or this podcast is a confession to those who I love the most in life, 
Nietzsche was wise in writing, it has gradually become clear to me that every great philosophy up till now has consisted of namely the confession of its originator and a species of involuntary and unconscious autobiography. And moreover, that the moral or immoral purpose in every philosophy has constituted the true vital germ out of which the entire plant has grown. I think I misread that last sentence. Let me try that again. And moreover, that the moral or immoral purpose in every philosophy has constituted the true vital germ out of which the entire plant has always grown. Bjorn Granivel, Aphorism 6. In our finitude and ephemerality, what more could one do with one's fleeting life other than live through and in love? Nothing. There's unequivocally nothing more one could do or be. So writing through love or creating through love is putting it plainly to will the good of the other. Summa Theologica, as Aquinas remarked. But in this case, the other is always a particular individual, not a concept or platonic form. To write or podcast through love is an orientation I'll have as a writer or podcaster, a commitment and a duty to a mode of being. So I'll always try to have the readers or listeners good in my heart. Thanks for watching. I'll see you in the next one.